The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some, who are, la some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once, when I was in seminary, one summer, I was working for a company kind of as a, I don't know, the official title might have been gopher. I basically drove my boss's truck around and brought office furniture and TVs and TV wall mounts to new locations because there had just been a recent merger. And so I was like the office furniture installer guy. And me and another college student uh, shared this responsibility, this great noble responsibility together. So one day we had to drive down. This was, their offices were in Oakdale. We had an assignment to um, go down and open or stock a new location of ours in Owatonna. And so that morning we get all the stuff we need, we load up the bed of the truck, we walk through, okay, there's the key we're gonna need for uh, this building to unlock it so we can get in, and you know, we're all set. So we're driving and we're listening to the radio and it's all great and grand, and we pull up, and this building is like empty, dark. There's nobody there. The lights are off. And we're like, oh, no sweat. You got the key, right, Chaz? I thought you got the key. So we, you know, do kind of this walk of shame up to this door with our stomachs dropping more and more and more with every step. And we lay hold of that handle and tuck. And sure enough, this door is locked. So um, we do basically, you know, what you do in that situation. We drive back up to Oakdale, put some more miles on my boss's brand new Ram get the key, drive back down to Owatonna, and, you know, finish the day. Now, maybe you don't have quite such a ridiculous experience with uh, <laughs> approaching a door and finding it locked and, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to do at that point. Maybe you've gone up to the cabin without the key and you've had to scamper in through an upstairs window or a sliding door that you 
wouldn't tell anybody that you, you know, leave unlocked for just this kind of purpose. But I think maybe all of us have experienced, oh no, the door's locked. Maybe you relate to class once in college and you had one of those professors who decided we're going to lock this door five minutes after class starts and just act like nobody's there if somebody starts tugging on the door, you know. There's this dread. You're so close. If you could just get through, let me in, let me in. Sometimes there's nobody there on the other side to let you in. Sometimes the person on the other side is not going to let you in. It's not, they, it's not that they can't hear you knocking. It's that they'll say maybe something like, all of the students in my class arrive on time. So go to the registrar and drop this one. Or, you know, something very intense like that. What you need is so close. The class is just there on the other side of the door. The work you're supposed to do for the day is just on the other side of this door. But if that door is locked, what are you going to do? Well, the Bible has some words like weeping, gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus there is talking about the last day after the final judgment. But we get a taste of that, I think, every time we experience this in this earthly life. Turn to the back of your service folder, if you will, and follow along with the gospel reading from Luke. Jesus is on his way, journeying through towns and villages, heading toward Jerusalem. Remember, in the Gospel of Luke, Jerusalem is almost a character of its own. It is where Jesus' destiny is. Earlier in Luke, we have this story that I think is unique to Luke, where Jesus sneaks away and is found in the temple as a 12-year-old boy. And his parents find him and say, what were you doing? Are you trying to get, you know, send us to an early grave? And, and Jesus says, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? I had to be in my father's house. Where, where, where else was I supposed to be? Jerusalem is the place that I'm here for. I'm going to die in Jerusalem someday. So Jesus is still moving toward Jerusalem, and someone comes up to him and asks this question, maybe just out of the blue, maybe, you know, there was a little bit of a preamble here, but he says, Lord, will, will the saved, will those who are saved be few? That's a question that I think we still find floating around today, isn't it? This, maybe it's an, uh, it comes as a, an objection to the Christian gospel. How can you say that Jesus is the only way when there are people in unreached tribes or villages or in countries that don't allow preaching of the gospel? How is that fair to them? that they would die without knowing Jesus and, and be damned forever. How can that be true? How can that be just or loving? What about all these people? Lord, will the saved really be few? And the answer to that is, I'm sure, an interesting one, whatever Jesus would give, but unfortunately, he kind of turns the question around, right? He turns the tables as he frequently does in the Gospels. And so he says to them, you, all you, strive to enter through the narrow door. If you don't want the saved to be few, then work hard to enter through the narrow door. Because many are going to seek to enter and will not be able. Not because it's too difficult, 
but because something is going to happen at a certain point where the door will close. Time is short. The master is not going to keep the door open forever. The door is open now, and you can enter, and Jesus wants all to enter. It's all throughout the scriptures, and we just sang it. A multitude comes from the east and the west. But like some companies will say when they're advertising, a great opportunity, right? While supplies last. Or limited time only. Buy one, get one. Or, you know, Joseph Bank. Buy one suit, get six free. Or some wild thing like that, you know. While supplies last, limited stock. It's good news. It's a great opportunity, but it's not available for everyone, everywhere, forever. That's the urgency in this morning's gospel text. And so for those who are waiting to know Jesus, because that's really where the rubber meets the road here, he says to people who come and knock after the door is shut, he says, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or you evildoers. Those who wait to know Jesus and I mean to really know him, not just to know the Bible, not just to be acquainted with the life of a Christian church or congregation. Those who wait to repent, those who wait to do something about the sin that clings to them, those who wait to really let Jesus sit on the throne of their lives are gambling with their eternal destiny. Friends, Jesus might sound today in this gospel lesson like maybe he doesn't really want everybody to be saved. This sounds kind of suspiciously like, you know, an advertisement for the United States Marine Corps, doesn't it? The few and the proud. The U.S. Marines. But I don't think that's really what our Lord's intent is. Jesus died for all, and he wants all. And this is something we've encountered in every scripture we've read today. From Isaiah, our Old Testament lesson, Isaiah 66, 20. They shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries, which is kind of the ancient world versions of on planes and trains and automobiles, in Ubers and in limos and walking and on bikes. Everybody is going to come from the ends of the earth to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Our psalm that we chanted, Psalm 50, verse 1. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. Summons the earth from the rising of its sun to its setting. That's everywhere. That's everything, everyone. Jesus died for all and he wants all to be saved. But he knows that not everyone is going to respond to his grace. So he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. The Christian life is full of striving. It's full of struggle, but it's not striving or struggle to earn our salvation. Because that's work that Jesus has already finished. Our striving and our struggle is to persevere. Our striving, our struggle, the race that we are running, that we heard about from Hebrews last week, 
running the race set before us with endurance, setting our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That race is to hang on. To not fall away. Once saved, always saved is not something a Christian can put their hope in. That's not biblical doctrine. There are scriptural warnings in the New Testament about falling away. We heard about one from uh, Esau. Hebrews 12, 16. That no one is like Esau. He sold his birthright for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Hebrews 12, verse 4 says, In your struggle against sin, assuming that we are struggling against sin. He says, or she, whoever wrote Hebrews, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That sounds like effort. That sounds like a struggle. Hebrews 12, 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what child is there whom his father does not discipline? Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is all striving to enter through this narrow door language. Hebrews 12, 22. You have come to Mount Zion, just like it said in Isaiah, remember? They shall bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, 22. You all, believers, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. If we have been baptized into Christ, our life is hidden with Christ in God, it says in Colossians 3. So while we are yet here, our striving, our effort, every effort that we put forth is to not fall away. It's to not let the lies of Satan, the pursuits and pleasures of this world, the desires of our flesh, pull us away. Because it is possible to make shipwreck of your faith. And on the last day, knock at the door and have Jesus say to you, I don't know you. Depart from me. So, I said it's striving and it's struggle not to earn our faith or our salvation, not to work our way into heaven, of course. But Jesus said this thing. He said, I don't know you. I don't know you. So how are we known by Jesus? How do we know Jesus? Well, the Christian life involves not just knowing things about Jesus. Right? John, the gospel according to John, chapter 1, says Jesus is the word of God. And the beginning was the word, right? And the word was with God and the word was God. Everything was made through him. Jesus is the word of God incarnate. But if you think that knowing your Bible by heart and mastering all kinds of biblical doctrine can substitute for actual living faith in your heart. You're fooling yourself. 
You cannot finish enough Bible reading and memorization plans to be found on the last day to really know Jesus. Satan knows the scriptures very, very well. He used the scriptures to tempt Jesus. There are all kinds of people who are experts in Old Testament studies and New Testament studies who probably are not believers in Jesus at all. And yet they're masters of the scriptures. The other thing is that knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus is not just about knowing what the life of a church is like. I had a high school uh, youth group leader say to me when I was younger, um, sitting in a pew on Sunday doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. Which is kind of harsh, kind of funny. I think we all laughed at the time. But these people said in Luke 13, 26, Jesus even predicts, he says, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. Jesus, come on, we know you. I'm the guy from the thing, remember? I attended those church events. I went to that pancake supper. That's not enough. Knowing Jesus, I don't mean to make this very mysterious. I just mean to say certain things are not enough, and I don't want you to have false comfort just by showing up to church and being a regular here, or any church, or reading your Bible a lot. Because Jesus says, people are going to say those things to me on the last day, and it's not going to be enough. Knowing Jesus means this. It means having faith in Jesus. And faith is more than familiarity. Faith in Jesus lets you stare down your trials. It lets you stare down suffering. It lets you have comfort, even in the face of death. Because you know in whom you believe. Faith is a tricky kind of thing to describe because we often want to go right to understanding. And understanding is part of it. But faith is like a baby or an infant who trusts that her parents are going to love her and nurture her. There's not really a lot of intellect there. It's almost like instinct. Instinct that's formed in us by routinely gathering around the word of God by routinely gathering around the sacrament of the altar, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door sounds like a very tall order. But Jesus calls himself the door in John chapter 10. He says one of his famous I am sayings, I am the door. And Jesus carried your sin to the cross to break its claim on you. He suffered your punishment so that God would never again be angry with you. And he died and rose from the grave so that you would know that death is not the end for you. Faith isn't knowing your Bible understanding theology. Faith is knowing a person.
trusting a person. Believing that a person exists. This person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he loves you. And that he gave himself for you and he's coming back for you. So when you hear today, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. I want you to hear as baptized believers, Jesus saying to you, hang on. I know this is hard. I know this is harder than it seems like it should be. I know it maybe seems like I don't love you. I know it seems like I don't want what's good for you or what's best for you. But don't let go. Make every effort to cling to him. And on the last day, he will by no means shut us out. We will be the ones raising the anthem, the glorious anthem in heaven. Praising our God forever and ever. We'll be part of the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We will see innumerable angels in festal gathering. We will be part of the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. We will be numbered among the righteous made perfect. As long as we hang on. The peace of Christ, which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in him, in the Lord Christ Jesus. Amen.